so I uh, want to say hello to everybody who's in the room. want to say hello to everyone who's watching online on uh, YouTube and Facebook Live. Uh, it's good. We got, a, we, got, we got a lot of people here in this room. Apparently, you guys were all just waiting for the coffee. That that's what, like, once the coffee's there, like, all right, we can go back to church now. We, we got the coffee. Um, so, hey, listen, I'm doing a series uh, through the book of James. And this is going to take us through the month of June. And I think I'll probably come back and, and finish it up in, in August. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to be spending a good amount of the summer here in the book of James. What's cool, I, what I like about doing a verse-by-verse study, because usually I preach topically, like, you know, have a topic and then kind of explore what the Bible says about it. But, but I like to also go like verse-by-verse through the Bible. And what's good about that is that it kind of forces you to just deal with what's next. You know, it's like you don't get to, you're not like preaching what your favorite things are to preach. You just got to kind of deal with the text and what it says. And so the passage that we're looking at today, it's kind of an intense passage of Scripture. The thing about James is James is kind of intense. Uh, and, uh, and so this actually, believe it or not, is a little bit of a controversial passage of Scripture as well. And I'll explain why in a moment if you're not aware. So, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read the, the section that we're going to be looking at today. And then uh, we will go uh, kind of verse by verse through. I'll kind of walk us through. So I would encourage you to open up your app. Uh, so that you can get the, uh, the fill-in-the-blank notes that I put together for this message. And, you know, Marianne said we got that new kind of cool thing where you can just kind of shoot, use your, your camera, your phone on the way in, and pull up all the things that you need for the morning. So, so we are just getting more and more technologically savvy as we go here. But um, starting at verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, as I said, this is a kind of controversial section of Scripture. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, the leader of the, of the Reformation, he didn't really like the book of James. I'm not sure, I, think he, I think he accepted that it was part of the Bible, but it wasn't his favorite. He said this, he said, the, the epistle of James is an epistle of straw compared to these others, for it is nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. What Martin Luther didn't like was, was James saying faith without works is dead. Because remember, Martin Luther was taken on at that time, a lot of corruption in the church, and there was, you know, indulgences and all these ways that people would be manipulated, things that they would have to do to earn their salvation. And so Martin Luther, his message was justification by faith alone, right? It was just faith alone. That's it. That's all you need. He loved, you know, verses like uh, Ephesians 2.8, where Paul said, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one could boast. He liked that. 
He didn't like James saying faith without works is dead because he felt like that gave ammunition to his enemies who would say like, hey, you know, Paul, you're going, or rather Martin Luther, you're going off on this tangent here and, and look at what James said. And, and so, so the, there's been this kind of like false dichotomy, like who's right? Was Paul right when he said we're saved by, you know, grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone? Or was James right in saying that, you know, faith without works is dead. How do you kind of reconcile it? And what I would say, what I believe, is that James and Paul are in absolute agreement, that they were just talking to different groups of people. So you had Paul, when he was talking about works, he was talking to Jewish Christians, right? Because the, the majority of early Christians came from the Jewish faith. They put their faith in Jesus, and there was this whole big controversy, you know, this thing they had to work through of like, okay, where does the Jewish law fit in now? And so lots of people were saying, well, that's, you're following Jesus, but you still need to be circumcised, and you still need to keep the purity laws, and you still need to keep kind of all the regulations that were in the law. That's what Paul was talking about. And Paul was saying, no, 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 we don't have to do that anymore. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. James, I think, was talking to a, to a different audience, and he was thinking about works, not so much about the Jewish law, but was thinking about works like the way we would think about works, right? Which is like when we think about works or good deeds, we don't think about the Jewish law. We think about like being a good person and being loving and being kind and becoming more and more like Jesus. I think that's what James was talking about. And so James was dealing with people who would say, hey, as long as you just believe the right things, it doesn't really matter how you live. And James in this saying, no, you know what, and we'll get into like specifically why and how he's saying, you know, actually what, what's going on in your life has everything to do with the nature or the reality of the faith that you claim to have. And I would say Paul is in complete agreement with that because there's a verse in Romans chapter 6 verse 1 where Paul was talking about grace and faith and all that he, he anticipates like some people saying like okay well you know you just believe the right thing it doesn't matter how you live and he says in verse 1 what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means we are those who have died to sin how can we live in it any longer so so I would say it's a false dichotomy James and Paul agree Martin Luther should have loved the book of James but uh, they, they just kind of were coming at something from different angles so the way I want to walk us through this, this kind of meaty passage of Scripture uh, is I want to give you three phrases that I think James would want you to come away with, all right? The first one is that real faith is not just something that you say. Real faith is not just something that you say. James 2.14 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? And what James is saying is that if you trust Jesus, right, if you have a real faith, a dynamic faith, like God is living inside of you, that's going to show up in your life. There's going to be evidence. It's going to lead to transformation in your life. Jesus would talk about fruit, right? By, your, by, by their fruit, you shall know them. So if God is in your life, there's going to be fruit in your life. There's going to be change. There's going to be transformation. So think about all the stuff about faith and works. Think about transformation, right? We're talking about if you have a dynamic faith, a real faith, it's going to show up in a transformation in your life. Now, I remember when I was a kid, and I'm talking about like 11, maybe 12, having the right bicycle was really important. 
And it was important not so you could like race or, you know, have like do it for exercise. It was important. At, like, so for me, talking about age 12, I'm talking very specifically about 1978. Is there anyone here who survived childhood in the 70s? I mean, because it was, it was a thing. So, so we were talking, like, you had to have the right bike because that was your mode of transportation. I mean, that's how you got around. And so when I was a kid, I, in the summer, me and my friends, like, I'd leave the house early in the morning on my bike, and we would meet up somewhere, and we would just go on these epic journeys. We would just go all over the place. My, my mom would have no idea where we were going. I, I wouldn't come back at lunchtime. I probably had to be back at dinner time. But, I mean, no idea, like, where we were, what was going on. And one of the things, I grew up in, in Dumont, and I lived right on the border of Dumont and Haworth, if you know where that is. And so one of the things we would love to do is to ride up to Route 9W up in Alpine. And the reason we like to do that, which was about, like, I don't know, six or seven miles, because it it's the cliffs. And so there was this one road that we would, like, you could fly down. You'd get to the very top of the cliffs, and then you could go downhill. It was like, I don't know how long it was, but it felt like it was like a mile. And so you felt like you were going like 100 miles an hour, and you're just flying down that hill. And I remember one of my friends once... Um, he got to the bottom and he like hit the curb and he went flying into the bushes. And I remember, I remember him crawling out of the bushes with a stick sticking out of his leg. But, you know, he was fine. We just pulled it out and we went home and we were all we were good. It was the 70s. It was, listen, you know, it's a miracle that I survived my childhood. But, but you know, you think about it now and you've got like... You know, parents get a bike for their kid and they don't let them like leave the driveway and they have the helmet on and there are paramedics standing by. It wasn't like that in 1978. It was a little bit different. But anyway, all that to say, on these epic trips, there were a few things that could go wrong, right, with your bike. One is you could get a flat tire. And so if you got a flat tire and then you were kind of out of luck and you just kind of had to walk your bicycle home, uh, you, you could have the chain fall off, right? And if the chain fell off, you'd have to turn the bicycle upside down and put the chain back on and get all greasy and, you know, but you could put it back on. I had this happen to me once on a long trip. You could have your pedal fall off. And so I remember my pedal fell off of my bicycle and I tried to put it back on, but it wouldn't stay on. It would just keep falling off. So I ended up having to ride home kind of like this right? Just like one leg just kind of didn't really work very well, but I was able to get home. But you see, the way that a bicycle is designed, you have two pedals and there's a whole push and pull thing, right? And it works really well when it's the push and pull. And so that's what James is saying faith is like here. He's saying it's, it's dynamic. There's a push and the pull. The faith and a transformed life, faith and works go together. Faith, real faith is going to lead to a changed life. And what he's encouraging us here, what he's saying you need to be on guard against, is you might know the right words. You might say the right words. But maybe you just, maybe you just talk a good game. And so what's going on in your life? Is there transformation? Is there fruit? Is there any evidence that God is actually at work in your life? Jesus also said this is something we've got to be aware of. Matthew 7, 21, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying the same thing. He's like, listen, faith is not just about saying the right things, that if you're all talk and there's no evidence of transformation of a changed life, you've got to ask yourself the question, what's going on? 
Do I really have that dynamic faith? Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And so this is kind of like a heavy thing. But to really stop and to say, okay, well, wait a minute. What's going on in my life? What is my faith leading towards? And so this isn't like the final quiz, but think of it kind of like a little bit of a pop quiz that we can kind of take a moment and just think about fruit in our life, think about transformation, think about what kind of faith do we possess? Possess, because real faith is not just something you see. Number two, real faith is not just something you feel. See, a lot of times we can confuse emotions with faith, right? We feel a certain way. Our emotions get moved and we think that we've like done something. That happens a lot these days where maybe someone will hear about some injustice or something and they'll feel really bad about it. And because they feel bad about it, they feel like they're like becoming the change or, or they're actually doing something that's making a difference, but they haven't really done anything, maybe short of like having an Instagram post, which isn't necessarily going to change anything. See, we, we have this idea that if we feel something, we've done something. And we're a very feeling-based society right now. And so this actually is probably even more prevalent than it was in James's time. But James wants us to understand, and he gives another illustration. And you're going to see as we go through the book of James that James is kind of like the king of illustrations. He's really good with the illustrations. Verse 15, he says, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And so he's saying, listen, here's what it is. Here's the reality. If you're like out and you run into someone from church and they don't have a coat and they're hungry and they haven't eaten and maybe they're, you know, sleeping on a bench and you just kind of say to them, oh man, that's really, I feel so bad for you. That's so rough, but I got to go because I, I got an appointment I got to get to and good luck with that. You know, good luck with that. I'll be, I'll be praying for you. What, what James is saying is that's really not evidence of a transformed life. John said the same thing. He said, if anyone has material possessions, 1 John 3, 17, and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So basically what, what James is saying, what John is saying, what Jesus said, what Paul said, uh, is that if, if something as powerful as God is in your life, there's going to be evidence. There's going to be a sign. There's going to be signs of that. There's going to be fruit that shows that like God has come into your life. And listen, you're not perfect. It doesn't happen overnight, but there's transformation that's happening. There's change that's beginning to happen. Now imagine if I grabbed a 220 volt wire, right? And all that electricity was flowing through me. There would be evidence, right? There would be, because there's power that's in me and there would be physical evidence that, that this was happening. Now, by the way, a public service announcement. The next time your electrician comes to your house to do some work, ask him or her to tell you their best electrocution story. Because I promise you, your, your electrician has a harrowing electrocution story. I do that now when I meet an, an electrician. I'm like, tell me your best story. And they're, they're, they're really, they're something. But, um, but anyway, you would, you would know it. You would know that there was power that was, in, that was, that was interacting with my, my life. How can someone as big as God come into your life and leave you unchanged? It doesn't make any sense. Real faith always produces real change. Imagine if I said, I'm all about being healthy. 
I'm, I want to be an Instagram influencer about health and wellness. And you said, oh, okay, well, that's great. So, so this is something you really care about. Uh, t- tell me about your diet. You must have a really good diet. And I say, yeah, no, I mostly just eat fast food. All right, well, what about exercise? Do you exercise a lot? Do you have this whole, like, exercise regimen? And I was like, well, no, I, I just, unless you count getting off the couch and going to the fridge, I don't really exercise all that much. All right, well, you must, like, you must get a lot of sleep. You must, like, really rest. No, I basically don't really sleep that much. I live on caffeine and nicotine, and that's kind of how I keep going. You'd say, like, you know what? You may say that you really value physical health and well-being, but there really isn't a lot of evidence in your life. And so the question, it's kind of, again, it's like a serious thing. Like, stop and, and just say, all right, we're talking about the love of God being inside of you. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit being inside of you. What evidence is there? What fruit is there that you have this dynamic faith, that you have this real faith that's working itself out in your life? Another thing I think that James would want us to be aware of, want us to kind of take away from this, is real faith is not just something that you believe. Real faith is not just something you believe. Verse 18 and 19, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James 2, go to the next slides. James 2, 18 to 19, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder. So do you know, in the United States right now, almost 50% of adults say that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins? Like almost half of adults say that they believe that. So that is a really important, you know, thing to believe about the nature of Christianity and the nature of reality, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he died for our sins. But I think James would say, hey, listen, you know what? I don't necessarily see evidence here in your country, in the United States, that 50% of you are like walking with Jesus and have the power of God in your life. He would say, you know what? Listen, the reality is, is that Satan believes. Satan believes, demons believe. You know, like the devil knows way more of the Bible than you'll ever know. The devil is like a better theologian than any of us. But what the Bible says is just because you believe the right things, it doesn't mean that your life is transformed. It doesn't mean that you have saving faith. The Greek word for belief is pisteo. Now, we tend to think, the way we think about the word belief is we think of it as mental assent. And then if you just say like, okay, I believe that it's Sunday. Okay, we believe that today's Sunday. We give mental assent to that. The Greek word pisteo for belief actually is much stronger than that. It's not just mental assent. It means that you commit. It means that you cling to. It means that you rely on, that you totally commit yourself to something. Now, there's this classic analogy, this this illustration that you might have heard before, but, but it's a really good one to just kind of demonstrate what the word belief means. And, uh, and so there was this guy, I don't know, about 100 years ago maybe, this guy named Blondin, and he was a tightrope walker. And so he used to put on these feats. You know, he, one of the things he would do is he would string tightrope across the uh, Niagara Falls, and he would walk across it and do all sorts of tricks, and crowds would watch. And then he would pull out a wheelbarrow, and he would say to the people who were watching, he would say, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope? And everybody who saw him do all of these tricks and saw him do all these things, they'd be like, of course, of course we believe that you can do it. And then he would, say, would, put, he would pick one volunteer and he would say, okay, get in the wheelbarrow. And that's pisteo. 
That's like you could have a mental assent that I think Blondin can do this, but are you going to commit yourself? Are you going to put yourself in the wheelbarrow to say, I am going to totally commit. I am going to go all in. That's what faith means. That's what it means to believe. And so the question, listen, do you just give mental assent to the things that we talk about and the songs that we sing and the things that we say, or do you get in the wheelbarrow? Because listen, what we're talking about here, the reason this is so important is what James wants, what I want, is for everyone here, everyone listening, everyone hearing, everybody, period, is that you would have dynamic faith in your life. That you would have a dynamic faith. Because having a a dynamic faith, we talked about this last week, that there is nothing more valuable that you can have in your life than faith. Than a real faith. It's more valuable than gold. Because if you have a real faith, you are going to be able to handle everything that life throws at you. All of the challenges, all of the difficulties, all of the obstacles, all of the heartbreaks. If you have a dynamic faith, you're going to be able to navigate. And not only are you going to be able to navigate and get through, you're going to be able to get through with joy. You're going to be able to get through with peace. You're going to be able to get through with hope. You're going to be able, if you have a dynamic faith, a real faith, You are going to be an overcomer, and you're going to know that God is for you who can be against you, that Jesus is with you, and you don't have to fear anything because Jesus is with you no matter what, and even when you die, Jesus is going to take you by the hand and lead you into the kingdom that he has prepared for you. There is nothing more valuable for you to have, for you to possess, than a dynamic faith. But we thought we got to stop, and we got to say, How's my faith doing? You know, where, where am I? Let me just kind of do a little check. Is, is there transformation in my life? Is there evidence that God is showing up in my life? And then what, what James does here, because he's all about the illustration, he always wants to make sure that people understand what he's talking about. He gives two examples of what dynamic faith looks like. He gives an example of Abraham and Rahab, verse 20. James chapter 2, verse 20, says, You foolish, foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So what does dynamic faith look like? The first thing is dynamic faith steps out. Dynamic faith steps out. You may remember the story of Abraham. All right, so, so God wants to reveal himself to the world. People don't really know Yahweh. There's all these other gods, all these other religions. God is revealing himself to Abraham. And he says to Abraham, he says, listen, even though you and your wife aren't able to have a child, you are going to have a child. And you're going to become the father of a multitude. And he would do things like take him out, say, look up at the stars up in the sky. Your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And actually, anyone here who's a believer in Jesus, we are actually the descendants of Abraham because he's, he's Father Abraham and we're all connected to him. Now, the problem was he and his wife were old and they didn't have a kid. They were unable to have a kid. And so it wasn't until, and we don't know exactly when God first spoke to Abraham, but it might have been like 30 years that he's waiting, waiting for God to follow through on this promise, 
Finally, when Abraham's 100 years old and Sarah's 90 years old, she gets pregnant. And so Isaac is born, and as you can imagine, I mean, he is the apple of his father's eye. He is the son of the promise. You know, their faith, all of those years, it all comes about. And so one day, Genesis 22, verse 2, God speaks to Abraham, and he says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So he says, Take your son, who maybe was a teenager by this time, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, people hear that, and they're like, oh, how could God do something so cruel? He's so terrible. That's awful to even test someone in this way. What you need to understand is all of the surrounding religions, not only was God trying to test Abraham, but also he's trying to teach Abraham. And all of the other religions, all of the other gods and deities, human sacrifice was absolutely an essential part of their worship. And so God is trying to teach Abraham and trying to show him like, hey, I'm not like that. I don't do that. Let me give you an object lesson, something that you will never forget. So, so Abraham is told to do this thing. And so what it says is that the very next day, he saddled up his donkeys. And he got ready for the journey to Mount Moriah, to go to Mount Moriah. He chopped up the firewood, everything that he would need. See, he had faith. He had to step out. He had, you know, he he could have faith that God was going to be with them and God was going to do a miracle, but he had to step out. And we know that he had dynamic faith because he said this when he got to the base of Mount Moriah, verse 5, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So, so actually what Hebrews 11 tells us, gives us a little insight, is that Abraham was going to go through with this. And he believed, though, that Isaac was going to come down that mountain with him, even if God had to raise him from the dead. And a lot of times, sometimes I'll hear people say that faith is obeying in spite of evidence. That's not really how it works for me. It's not, it's not obeying in spite of evidence. It's obeying in spite of the consequences. Because what I've discovered in my life and what I've seen is that God will bring each and every one of us, as he's trying to build this dynamic faith in our life, and he wants us to grow and wants us to come into everything that he has for us, he will bring us to our own personal Mount Moriah. He will bring us to a moment where God says, I want you to do this. I want you to obey me. And, it, and we're going to be like, that doesn't really make sense. Like, there are some consequences here that I don't know if I want to face these consequences. This obeying you in this matter is going to be really costly. I remember years and years ago when God called me into the vineyard, I was an associate pastor at a, at a local church, and it was a great church in a certain denomination. And, uh, and I, was, I was kind of set, you know. I had, like, a good career in this denomination. I was, like, getting connected, getting networked. And, and uh, my son, you know, at the time, he was little. So I had a family that I had to support. And God spoke to me, like he really did. I mean, it was just no question that God told me that he wanted me to come into the vineyard. Now, the problem was I didn't know anyone who was in a vineyard church. I had visited one vineyard church in Anaheim, California. That was it. I didn't know a soul who attended the vineyard. And so, I, you know, my wife and I are talking about this, and she really didn't know too much about the vineyard, but she felt too that this is how God was leading us. But it didn't make any sense. It's like, how am I going to get established? I don't even know anybody. How does this work? How am I going to support my family? But we ended up, I ended up resigning where I was and, 
and showing up, you know, one Sunday in the Manhattan Vineyard because I lived in Bergenfield at the time and that was the closest vineyard church. It didn't make any sense, but it was my Mount Moriah and God was calling me to trust him. What about you? I wonder if maybe someone here, like you're facing, you're facing a Mount Moriah, you're facing a, a, a difficult challenge right now, something where God is calling you to obey, but it's hard and there are consequences. Maybe you're thinking about a new job. Maybe you feel like God is kind of leading you in a different direction, but you're kind of comfortable where you are. You're kind of, you're kind of settled where you are. Maybe some of you might be feeling or sensing that God is calling you into vocational ministry. That maybe God has, he wants you to be a pastor, wants you to be a church planter, wants you to, you know, be involved in missions or something. But you're like, man, I, I kind of feel this, but, but my life is pretty settled right now. This is really hard. I don't know how this would work out. See, I think there's lots of ways that this could show up in our life that God will bring you to a Mount Moriah. And he's going to say, are you going to trust me? Are you going to go up that mountain? Are you going to believe that I'm going to make a way? Now, let me just kind of put this out there. Let me just say this. I think one of the ways, one of the Mount Moriahs that a lot of us face, especially, you know, people who are single, is when it comes to sexual ethics. Like what the Bible says very clearly about the gift of sex that God has given human beings is that it's for one man and one woman for life in marriage. Like that's, that's biblical sexuality. I don't need to tell you. I don't need to give you, you know, charts and graphs and stats to say that that's not exactly how the world right now views the gift of sexuality, right? That's, that's not how the world is thinking about it. And I think that, to, listen, to be single right now is really hard. Because you might say, I want to obey God. I want to embrace, you know, what God says about biblical sexuality, but you're going to get a lot of pressure. I mean, they might break up with you because of that. They might think you're weird. They might make fun of you. They might say, hey, you know, this is like, you know, this doesn't work today. This is, this is ridiculous. And so there are consequences. And so we got to say, do we have a dynamic faith that's going to trust God no matter what? There's so many different ways that this can show up in our life and see what happens. What will happen when you're really facing a Mount Moriah? It's going to feel like it's a dead end, but actually it's the opposite of that. It's, going to, it's not a dead end. It's actually going to be a launching pad for everything that God has for you and everything that God has for your life. So dynamic faith steps out. The second thing is dynamic faith speaks out. He says this, James 2 verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now this is taken from the book of Joshua. And so Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and uh, they, they wandered in the desert for 40 years as God was dealing with them about some things. And then Moses died and Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. And they're going to come into the land of Canaan and they're going to start having some battles to displace the people who are currently in the land of Canaan. And the first one is the city of Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho was like the starting off with one of the hardest ones because it had a wall all the way around it. So it was a very fortified city. And so what Joshua did is he sent in two spies to check it out. Now, now the wall had apartments that were built into the wall. And so there was a woman named Rahab who the spies were interacting with, and Rahab helped him out. And so Rahab said this to the spies, Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land 
and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, whom you completely destroyed, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. So Rahab believed that God was with the Israelites. Rahab believed that, that the Israelites were going to conquer Jericho. And so what she did is she declared her allegiance. She spoke it out. She said, hey, you know what? I'm with you guys. And so if we're going to have dynamic faith, there comes a time when we got to speak out. And I wonder, you know, maybe there's some people right now where life has been really hard. You have just been facing challenge after challenge after challenge. It doesn't feel like God is with you. It doesn't feel like God has a plan. It feels like the obstacles and the challenges are too much. I know we all go through periods where we feel that way. I bet some of you right now are feeling overwhelmed. And maybe what you need to do is you need to take a, you know, kind of a, a chapter out of, uh, out of David's life. And what he would do in the Psalms, you need to declare to yourself what you know to be true. You need to, you know, I remember years ago when we were in the, the battle that we were in for this building. Right? We had this, like, this, this federal lawsuit we had to have to get into this building. And the, the people who were opposing us, their strategy was basically to have this last as long as it possibly could so we would go bankrupt. And it was one of those moments where it felt like, that's a good strategy. That could actually work. I think we're close to that. And I remember, like, there's period in my life, and I was running every single morning. And so I'd be running on the Saddle River Path. And I started just as loud as I could declaring what I knew to be true. I would just run and like a maniac, I would just declare like God is with us and God is going to make a way and God is faithful and, you know, no weapon formed against us will prosper and you are able to bless us abundantly. I would just like day after day after day, I would literally like, I was like the crazy person running in the saddle of a path, but I feel like something broke. Like something broke. I wasn't the only one who was praying like that. God was having a number of us doing that. And things, things changed. And I just think that there's some people here. And right now, like you're, you're getting overwhelmed right now by the challenges and the difficulties in your life. You need to declare. You need to speak out. You need to say, God is for me who can be against me. You need to say, I believe that God is with me. I believe that God is making a way. I believe that no weapon formed against me will prosper. I believe that this too shall pass. I believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And maybe what you need to do is you need to go out there and you need to take a walk and you need to do whatever and you need to shout this and people might think you're crazy but if you put your AirPods in they'll think you're just on the telephone and you're having an animated conversation. But maybe you need to speak this out. You need to declare your faith. Maybe you need to identify as a Christian. I don't know if you've noticed but it's becoming increasingly popular, unpopular to be a Christian. It's getting harder to be a Christian. And maybe in your job or in your family or in your circle of friends, you're like this like deep, deep, deep undercover operative. Like nobody knows you're a Christian. And maybe what you need to do is you need to declare, you need to kind of just say, just like Rahab did, like, all right, I'm in. I'm in with the people of God. Because Jesus said, again, like kind of harsh, but he said, if we deny him before men, he'll deny us before our father. 
Maybe the way this kind of manifests in your life, like what you need to speak out is that God has given you dreams, that there are things that God has put in you, things he wants to do in you, things he wants to do through you. And, and you kind of like, you know, it seems like it's too much. And it seems like people are going to think I'm weird or people are going to think that, that it's just, you know, a fantasy. But maybe what you need to do is you need to share with somebody what God has been speaking to you. You need to put it out there. See, we need to, dynamic faith is going to speak out. And the final thing is this, dynamic faith works out. Dynamic faith works out, which means it's a process, which means for Abraham, listen, think about what it was like for him when he's 99 years old and there's still no kid. Think about Rahab, right? So the way, the way this worked out for Rahab is what the spy said is, listen, if you have a red uh, sheet, that you hang from your window, then anyone who's in your apartment, any family members that you can convince to come into your apartment, they'll be safe. And so Rahab did that, right? So she got her, you know, probably got her parents, probably got uh, her brothers and sisters, maybe some cousins, maybe some nieces, maybe some aunts and uncles. And so they're all jam-packed in her apartment. And so they're in the wall, the apartment's in the wall, so they could look out the window and see the Israelites. And so then all of a sudden, all the Israelites gather. Right? Remember what the Israelites did to bring the walls down? As they, each day they marched around the walls, they marched around the city, and on the seventh day the walls came down. And so on day one, they blow the trumpet. You know, and everyone's in that apartment thinking, okay, this is, this is going to happen now, this is getting real. But then they just march around the walls. And then day two comes, and they're like, okay, well now it's going to happen. I don't know what that was yesterday, but now it's going to happen. And it's the same thing. They blow the trumpet, they walk around, and then day three, they do the same thing. Day four, I would imagine by day five, right? Like, you got all these people jammed into this apartment. They were probably like, Rahab, this isn't really working out right now. Like, your Wi-Fi isn't really very good, and there's only one bathroom, and we're, we're going to go. So I would imagine that Rahab had to say, hey, wait a minute, hold on, guys. I don't know what's going on, but sit tight. See, sometimes dynamic faith is going to take a while. It's, you know, there are times, sometimes God will speak something to you and it'll like, it'll happen like immediately, it'll happen overnight. But a lot of times, most of the time, God will speak something to us. And then we just have to, we have to trust and we have to hold on to it. And it's going to take a while to see it. And maybe some of you right now, like you, you, there's something that God has spoken to you. Maybe something to do with your marriage, that your marriage has some really painful things in your marriage and, and you've been praying for your spouse and praying that God would work in you, but it just sometimes feels like it's getting worse. And maybe God is saying, you need to have that dynamic faith that's going to work it out, that's going to continue to trust. Maybe it has something to do with some painful things in your family, with your, your kids, and you're praying for them and you're believing God for them, and, but it's going to take some time and you need to work it out. Maybe it has something to do with your provision, where you've been looking to God to, to help. Like, it's just financially, it's been so difficult. It's been such a hard season. You need to continue to trust the Lord. You need to continue to hold on. Maybe you're waiting for something to lift in your life. There's a cloud of, of, of oppression or something emotionally, you know, in your life or spiritually in your life or a physical, some way that you need God to move and to work, that we need to understand that dynamic faith takes time. We've got to work it out. So how is it right now for you to have that dynamic faith? Where is God calling you to step out? Where is he calling you to speak out? Where is he calling you to wait to work it out? 
Because God is at work in all of our lives. And as I said before, having that dynamic faith is the most important thing that you can have in your life. The most important thing, if you have a dynamic faith, you will be able to get through everything. Not just get through, not just endure, but you will be able to endure with joy. You will be able to endure with hope. You will be what the Bible calls an overcomer. You will become the person that God is calling you to be. And so this is just, James is giving us an opportunity here to just kind of take a step back and take a look and say, how am I doing? How am I doing? Am I growing spiritually? How much of my faith is just kind of all talk and no action? How much of my faith is just like, oh, I like, I feel a certain way with a worship song, but that doesn't really kind of, you know, work its way out into my life. The belief that you have, is it just mental ascent or are you really clinging? Are you getting into the wheelbarrow? Because God wants you to have a dynamic faith that's going to make all the difference in your life, that's going to give you the strength and the power and the hope and the abundant life that only comes from God that you won't get anywhere else. And so it's good for us to just take a moment and say, how am I doing? How am I doing? Where am I at? Because listen, this life, it's so easy to drift. It's so easy. There's so many things that are going on. It's so easy for us to drift. And this is a time for us to examine ourselves. I'll end with this. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? Continue to worry. Be like, how am I doing? What's going on? But don't do it thinking it all depends on you. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. God is the one who is at work. And so I just want you to trust that God has a plan. God is working that plan. And this is just an opportunity for us to just examine our hearts and to say, God, you are the most valuable thing in my life. And I'm not going to let anything keep me from you. And Lord, I pray that you would put in my life that there would be fruit, that there would be good works, that there would be transformation, that I would become more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this this challenging section of Scripture. And God, I just pray for everyone who's in this room right now, everybody who's watching the live stream. God, we give you permission to search our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would convict us if there are ways or there are areas where we're just drifting. If we're just playing games with you. If we're just going through the motions. Lord, you deserve so much more than just our going through the motions. And so we surrender afresh to you, God. We say that you are our Lord. You are the the reason, God. You are the purpose. You are our everything. And God, we just surrender our life to you afresh. We give you all that we are. And listen, if you're here right now and you have not yet opened up your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Because this kind of faith, this dynamic faith, it starts with you asking Jesus into your life. And so if you ask Jesus into your life, then what's going to happen is he'll come into your life and he'll start changing you from the inside out. And so if you haven't done that yet, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And so you don't even have to say this out loud. You can just repeat this prayer kind of quietly in your heart. But say, Lord Jesus, 
I need you. I need the dynamic faith that you offer. I want my life to change. And so I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. And I accept your free gift of salvation. And from here on out, I'm going to get in the wheelbarrow. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to hold on to you because I want you to change me. I want you to change my life that my life would glorify you. Just keep your eyes closed, but do me a favor. If you prayed that prayer this morning, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer. And I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. If you could text FOLLOW to 201-584-7188, that'll come to me, and I'll reach out to you and just say, you know, see how I can pray for you, and, and just we can kind of go back and forth a little bit just to see how we can support you. All right, I just, I really feel, I've just felt like we're going to close worship teams. Are there prayer ministry teams going to be over here to my right? If anybody wants prayer for anything, anything that's going on, we would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. But I just feel right now this whole word about pisteo and what it means to believe, what it means to cling to. I think that that's a word that God has very specific for some of you. That God is saying, listen, you haven't been pisteoing with me. You haven't been clinging to me. You haven't been holding on. You haven't been in the wheelbarrow. You've been drifting. And so this is an opportunity for you to say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to surrender all that I am to him. And so, so if that's something that God is speaking to you, don't leave without doing that. All right? Because the good life, the abundant life is in the wheelbarrow. Even though it's a little scary and it's like a little freaky. That's where the good stuff is. Let's all stand. So God, I just bless everyone. God, I pray that you would help our faith to grow and to be alive and to be strengthened. And Lord, I just pray that we would love you and we would serve you, would give you all that we are for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's people over there who would love to pray for you. Anything going on in your life that you want prayer for, we'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. All right? Have a great week.